If you are with us for the first time, we're glad that you're here. We as a church have been looking through this book over the last nine weeks. I originally said this would be a ten-week study. Joshua has 24 chapters, and I'm in chapter 9, so uh, it will also be our Advent series this year, possibly. So we are uh, looking uh, just through the stories that are here and what they teach us about faithfully walking with God. And if you're here and you are not in a relationship with our Lord Jesus, you've just been singing songs that may not resonate with you, but that we trust will teach you as to the character of our God. If you're here and you are in a season where you are detached for whatever reason from the God who saved you when you were younger, I want you to be encouraged by how faithful our God is even in the middle of our missteps. We see that in this book today as we look in chapter 9. So I'm going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 9, and we will continue through verse 27. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country in the lowland and all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of the Gibeon of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they, on their part, acted with cunning and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, with worn-out, patched-up sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes. And all their provisions were dry, and they were crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, and said to him, and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us. Then how how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We're your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where did you come from? They said to him, From a distant country your servants have come. Because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and the king of Heshbon, and to Og king of Bashan who lives in Asherah. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hands for the journey and go meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here's our bread. It was still warm when we took it from the houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and it's crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them. And behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours, they're worn out from our very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel from the Lord. I'm going to read that verse again. So the men took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them, and he made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. And at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were neighbors. 
and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and they reached their cities on the third day. Now their city was Gibeon, Shepherah, Bereth, and Kiriath. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to the congregation, We have sworn by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us. Because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, Let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said to them. Verse 22, Joshua summoned them, and he said to them, Why did you deceive us, saying we are very far from you when you dwell among us? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants. Cars of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua because it was told to our servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you, and we did this thing. And now, behold, we're in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel. And they did not kill him, kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for this congregation, for the altar of the Lord, to this day in the place that he should choose. When you read verses 1 and 2, we're reminded that there is a little bit of resistance that is has arisen against the people of God. As we walk through these first eight chapters of this book, we've seen a recurring phrase that the hearts of the people, when they considered the God of the Bible, they melted. How could we ever fight against them? How could we ever fight against their God? But there have been a couple of moments uh, at I specifically where there is, has been defeat that has spread to the various kings. And you have an assortment of kings who have chosen to come together in verses 1 and 2. We'll look at the battle with them next week. But as they have come together, they have steadied themselves for this battle. Like any of us would when we, were, when we face an insurmountable obstacle. They are ready for the battle, and regardless of what happens, they are going to fight it. However, there are certain people from the same area, the Gibeonites, who have chosen to go a different route in approaching the God of the Bible and His people. And their approach is very much like the approach of many of us when we would buy a used car. Anyone been in the situation of having to purchase a new or used car? You can read how to do this online because online you can find out everything about everything. You can also recall stories that you've been told by family and friends. Uh, on the podcast This American Life, there's an episode called 129 Cars. It's about a car dealership in Long Island. I'll be honest with you, I could not make up a sketchier situation. And here are some of the tips that we hear in this podcast as they talk to us about buying a used car, as they talk about the interaction. Some of these are from relationships that I have. Some of these are from situations that I've heard of. 
One of those is that if you are to go and buy a used car, a friend of mine's dad would always tell him, when we go to buy you a car when you turn 16, don't wear your watch and don't wear nice clothes. As if to confuse the car salesman. Uh, A friend of ours, actually one of our church members, told me that there was a situation where they bought their car and they had their three children in tow and that expedited the process exponentially. When I listened to this podcast, one of the car dealers recommended a, this book as a manual for selling cars. It's The Art of War, written by Sun Tzu in the 5th century B.C. He's a military general and strategist, and what he has to do with selling a used Jeep, I am not sure of. But as you listened to the story that was being told, you could tell there was an interaction there where one side had prepared and the other side had prepared, and you had this combination of people wanting to get a car and people who were trying to sell a car coming together for this battle. Wisdom has invaded the process on both sides. That's not what we get with Joshua here. When we get to Joshua chapter 9, we see this group of people, the Gibeonites, who are from this area. You you can read through the names in verses 1 and 2 of the various people who would oppose the Lord God and His people. The the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Websites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Termites. We have all of these people against God. Yet you have this one crew who has decided that they will approach the Lord differently. You look and you see that as they approach God, Joshua has a problem that many of us have. Because in verses 3 through 15, you see the problem for Joshua and the leaders of Israel was this simple. They forgot God's word. If you're a note taker, you can see that in, your, in the middle of your worship guide today. They forgot God's word. In verse 14, you'll, you'll read, So they took them some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel for the Lord. Now notice what they took. When you go through verses 3 through 15, you see this is the way that the Gibeonites approached Israel. Though they were very close to them in proximity, they communicated that they were very far from them. They showed up with worn out wineskins, with worn out sandals, with worn out clothes, with worn out sacks for their donkeys. Everything was worn out. They also, when they, would, when they approached them, you notice that they were holding bread that seemed to be really, really old. Not the cheap bread we get from HEB that was made the day before, but from three to four days before. They have approached them with everything prepared to communicate to the nation of Israel that they are from a far off land. As a matter of fact, that's what they say. We're from a far away place. When Joshua asks as to what that faraway place is, they say, we're from a faraway place. And Joshua just accepts it. That's the interaction that these two people, that these groups are having. We find in verse 14 that they received him because of the way their food looked. They said, of course they're poor. Of course they've traveled a long distance. Of course they want to be our partners. The actual breakdown of the, of the verse says this. They received them because of their food. The mouth of Yahweh. 
They did not ask. They saw the stale bread and they allowed it to coerce them. It's not that they are... The, the people of Israel were not thorough in their investigation. They asked lots of questions. Here is their situation and here is our situation as we make decisions. It is not for lack of investigation. The nation of Israel has chosen to be alone in the decision that they're making. They have not consulted the word of the Lord their God. They have not asked for God to speak to them about what they're doing. How regularly is that you? How often is that me? That I would make a decision knowing full well that I have all of the information that I need to go forward, yet forgetting that the word of the Lord may be helpful to me may benefit me as someone who knows him. It was a situation where they would go with their gut, so to speak. We love that. That's a really popular phrase. It's a popular quote. As I said last week about another phrase, it's a dumb quote. Do you know what going with your gut gets you? It lands me at Taco Bell at 1 a.m. Two-fisting chalupas because it's fourth meal time. That is not what God would have us to do in the way that we respond. What if we simply look at every situation and said, don't think, don't consider that there is something that informs this, but there is someone who informs this. Del Ralph Davis, theologian, says this, no proposed course of conduct can be so clear to a Christian as to excuse him from the duty of seeking direction from above. No proposed course of conduct can be so clear to a Christian as to excuse him from the duty of seeking direction from above. The nation of Israel, the leaders of Israel, saw the Gibeonites and their worn out clothes and their stale bread and said, we'll accept you without ever considering the God who had brought them to this place. Now, does that mean that we agonize over whether we should get our hair cut between two and four? Or if we should eat peas or green beans or order a Whataburger or a double Whataburger? No, but in every one of us, what we have to fight is this thought that says, I've got this. I've got this. I've got this under control. I can deal with this on my own, in my own power. Joshua in chapter 9, without consulting the Lord, literal breakdown of the phrase, the, the word of Yahweh, he did not ask. And he is in a place where he has forgotten God's word and is making this a decision that will forever impact the people that he leads. 
Here are the words that are used. You see them in verses 3 through 15. As they approach Joshua, they approach him with language that belonged to the people of Israel. They ask for peace and they ask for covenant. And peace and covenant are words that are used between God and his people. And they have no place for those who are not part of God's people. We as followers of Jesus in 2018 need to be incredibly careful as to what we miscommunicate when we speak on behalf of the Lord. When there is a funeral and we use language that says that someone is in a better place, if that person stands outside of relationship with Jesus, as hard as this is to say, they are not. And we have communicated false truth and short-sighted hope. Our God wants us to approach Him and ask for wisdom as we speak. To consider Him as we communicate. To think through Him as we step each and every day into the situations that are before us. We are to not be people who forget God's word. The nation of Israel, as much as there is to say about Joshua that is wonderful, he is brave. He's not always the brightest apple on the tree. He continually forgets to approach God. Yet God, what we see about God is he is gracious in that. So the first thing that we see is that we would not forget God's word. God's word is beneficial to us. So how does that play out for us in the way that we obey God? We have to be careful with the word apply. And I've said this a time or two to us. To say that we apply something communicates that we have control. We don't apply God's word. We obey it. We surrender to it. We listen to it. We trust what's there. And we move forward because of how the word of the Lord is spoken to us for our situation. How do we obey God's word? How do we line our lives up as Christ followers in a way that says the Lord God he speaks to me as someone in relationship with him well, we, we see this also from the passage that we would follow God's ways look with me in verses 16 through 21 I'm going to read over those again because I read those a few moments ago at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that was not theirs to make they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. What? They heard that they weren't from a faraway place. But that they were living in the area that everyone else had decided to attack from. The people of Israel, they set out and reached their cities on the third day. The cities were Gibeon, Chephira, Berah, and Kiriah-Jerim. Thank you so much. I really need a something on my phone that would teach me to pronounce these words with my accent. You got to work with what you got. But these people of Israel did not attack them. Because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. 
that all the leaders said to the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. You may be asking when you read this, the same question that I asked the first time that I approached it. What does it matter? The Gibeonites were lying. Just break the oath. It's what I asked as I prepared. Your people are frustrated. The earth, the oath was earned through deceit. But all of this is a consequence from neg- neglecting the wisdom of God. Their situation is steeped in that. And for them to not give thought to the commitment that they had made would be for them to act in such a way that would say, we have this under control, and it would also communicate this, that we can neglect God's wisdom and there be no consequences. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, He has wiped away all of our sin and He has dealt with all of our guilt. Yet in this life, the decisions that we make affect the next decision that we have to make. We see this with these people. Though wrongly obtained, they must not break their oath because they had neglected God. This rests on them. We live in a society of deferment as we look at things that are said to us and things that are done to us. How easy is it for us to outsource blame? Joshua and his responsibility here is one where he takes the blame of what he has done. And he considers what it would mean for him to break this oath. To break the oath of the Lord. To break the oath is to imply that his God... Hear this. This this is what we say when we push against the promises that we would make. That we, when we stand in opposition to what God would have us to do, to turn on the Gibeonites at this point would say this about God. His word is unreliable. His character is moody. His actions are unpredictable. Hebrews tells us this about God in chapter 6. Hebrews tells that God's oath, this is what we learn, that God swears by himself because there's no one greater to swear by. That this God that we believe in as followers of Jesus, that he makes guarantees, it actually reads this, he inserts himself between two things. That's what it means for God to make an oath. It's not just to make a guarantee and put a stamp on it. It's literally for God to say, I'm standing between these two things. So for the nation of Israel to make the oath that the God of the Bible would would protect the Gibeonites, they are saying that our God stands between our wrath and you. It's impossible for God to lie, we learn in Hebrews 6. And we learn that those of us who were in God, we have fled to refuge and we have anchored ourselves to Him because He is our only hope. Consider the situation of the Gibeonites. As they approached Joshua and the leadership of Israel, there is no doubt that they approached Him deceptively. 
that they came to Israel and they wanted Israel to receive them simply for the benefits of them being united with Israel. There was the possibility that they could come in and they could mismanage and use Israel when they became part of this nation. There are numerous shortcomings to their approaching Him. In the same way that many of us approach the God of the Bible, who we have met as Jesus, and we are short-sighted in what this will actually mean, and we do not consider that we Maybe in this for ourselves. How many conversations have you had where someone would say that they are placing their faith in Jesus because they wanted to get out of hell? Hear me, church family. If you have entered into a relationship with God because you want to escape hell, heaven is not a place for people who are afraid of hell. Heaven's a place for people who love Jesus. How many of us have approached God clinging on to the things within us that we would say are clinging on to things that we would say God you can't have these things but I do want this relationship with you for whatever that means we look at Gibeon and we see a reflection of us Francis Schaeffer says this about oaths. If God will not tolerate the breaking of an oath made in His name, how much more will He never break His own oath and covenant made to us on the basis of the shed blood and infinite value of Jesus? God has intervened, He has stood between us in Jesus. He has provided a way for us to be right with Him. We see in this text the idea of following God's way and being people who are committed to God because we want to emulate and reflect the God who we have trusted in. We also see this. Verses 22 through 27. We see finding God's will. Finding God's will. Because we see a redemptive thread for the Gibeonites. Joshua summoned them. And he said to them, Why did you deceive us? Saying, We are very far from you when you dwelt among us. Now therefore you're cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of woods and draw- wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua. Because it was told to your servants for certainty that the Lord your God has commanded his servant. Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and we did this thing. Now behold, we're here in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight, do that to us. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel and they did not kill them. But he made them servants. What does this say about how we respond to our missteps? Joshua, 
learns that we are to glorify God in the messes that we make by pointing to grace. Be faithful to God in the face of your mistakes. And know that His mercies do not cease because you have done wrong. A God whose mercy ceases because we have done wrong is not God. That's me. I'm the one who pulls back mercy and grace when someone wrongs me. And my God is much better and greater than that. You also see all these parallels in the book between Rahab and the Gibeonites. If you'll remember Rahab, the prostitute from chapter 2. Like Rahab, Gibeon, the Gibeonites were natives of Canaan. Like Rahab, the Gibeonites had confidence because of what they'd heard about this God of Israel. Like the Gibeonites, Rahab responded with fear before God's people. And like the Gibeonites, Rahab acted with cunning in order that she and her family might find refuge among these people. But there are some complications when you include these people into this nation. Complications that one pastor points out are overwhelming if we allow them to be. The Gibeonites could have easily brought false religion into the Jewish people. In their experience with God, they even in the Old Testament we see this, God had a heart for saving Gentiles, yet you have these people who have now been infused into this nation who could come and be things that would be unhealthy to the nation. But Joshua put them in places... He put them in circumstances where their relationship with Israel and the people of Israel would elevate the value of their God in the sight of these foreigners. We see this. The Gibeonites would become servants at the tabernacle because that's what Joshua commanded. Gibeon became a city of priests the Ark of the Covenant stayed there at time. There was a mighty man of David's army that was a Gibeonite. God spoke to Solomon at Gibeon. Gibeons were among those who rebuilt the wall. Look, I think when we begin to consider who our God is and how our God works, in our hearts, we, when we have those who are far from God become part of the family of God through faith in Jesus, there are many things that stir us and make us uncomfortable and nervous. Your interaction with... You, your reason for interacting with people of faith may not always be pure. Their interaction with you as a person of faith may not be the purest decision that's made. But what is this? The more and more that people experience... Our God, the God that we find in Scripture, the more we see His redemptive nature at work, the more we see God as people spend time with Him, the more they begin to look like Him. I don't know what conversations that you're having right now. Many of our friends and family who are far from Jesus may make us uncomfortable in the way that they see Jesus. But I encourage you to press on, to push on, to show that our God is full of mercy and grace. And as you show that He's full of mercy and grace, you are a demonstration of that in the way that you live. 
And I would encourage us as a family of faith to realize that when there are people who fuse into what God is doing in the church as a whole and our church in particular, that we would, that we would live and interact with them graciously. Because God continues to interact with you and me graciously. We see God meeting these people and making them part of what He does. What are you doing to meet with people and make them part of what God does? To meet them in their mess and even in their lives. And show that the God who we throw ourselves before and ask to work is good and gracious. If you need me, I'll be in the back corner of the room.